0: Good evening, everyone, and thank you, Stephen, for leading us so helpfully. As Stephen has said, we're, we're starting a brand new series uh, tonight based on, or, or rather looking at, the fruit of the Spirit, and we've called it Nine a Day, and I'll explain more about that title in a moment. But let me say a few things by way of introduction and share why I think doing this series is so important recently. It seems that in whatever we have been looking at, whatever series we've been kind of doing, there's been a passing reference to the fruit of the Spirit. And therefore, I thought it would be good, and a number of, of others actually uh, spoke to me about this, and thought it would be good to dedicate time and the whole series to this specific subject and actually spend nine weeks considering that list that we find in Galatians chapter 5. because. This is one of the most important aspects of and dimensions to Christian discipleship. In fact, I'd even go a little further and say that the presence and growth of the fruit of the Spirit in our daily lives provides the evidence for the reality or other ways of our Christian faith. If there is no fruit, or if there is a severe shortage of it, then I think we have every reason to question and query the authenticity of our or anyone else's claim to be Christian. And I realize that's a big, bold statement. And I will attempt to, to clarify that and earth it in God's word as we explore this subject together. You see, being a Christian is ultimately about becoming more and more like Jesus which is the purpose of God for the people of God, to quote John Stott in his last public address in 2007. That this is the purpose of God for the people of God to become more and more like Jesus. I'll say more about John Stott in a moment, but Christian call, Christian, uh, Christ-likeness is our calling. It's also our goal. It's also our destination, because one day we will be like him. And as you engage with the teaching of Scripture in the New Testament, and, and we've mentioned this before, you are confronted with this explicit desire and intention of God to form, conform, and transform us into the image, into the likeness of Jesus. Those are just quotes from Galatians four nineteen, Romans 8, 29, nine two, Corinthians three eighteen. God is reshaping our character to reflect the character of Jesus. And what is the character of Jesus? What are the characteristics of Jesus that should be growing and developing in our lives? The fruit of the Spirit. I mentioned uh, John Stott. And many of you know that he is one of my heroes of the Christian faith, key leader in the 20th century, an inspirational preacher, a prolific writer, wrote over 50 books. And in 2005, Time magazine named him as one of the 100 most influential people in the world. But John Stott had a daily prayer. Some of you might know this. But apparently every morning, John Stott prayed these words. And this prayer was printed on the program of the memorial service that was actually held in America in November 2011. John Stott died in July 2011. Here's the daily prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that I may live this day in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus I pray that this day I may take up my cross and follow you. Holy Spirit, I pray that this day you will fill me with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Holy, blessed and glorious Trinity, three persons in one God have mercy upon me. Almighty God, creator and sustainer of the universe, I worship you. Lord Jesus Christ, savior and Lord of the world, I worship you. Holy Spirit, sanctifier of the people of God, I worship you. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and shall be forever. Amen. It's an amazing Trinitarian prayer. And I'm going to suggest that that one of the responses to this evening and to the start of this new series, is to take up this prayer and offer it every day for the next two months. Now, Mark, being the creative genius that he is, uh, has, has created these little prayer cards. And I've got one. I hadn't quite thought there'd be this many people here. But anyway, I hopefully have one for most people that are here tonight. But if you want to kind of pick up this challenge as we go through this series and pray that prayer every day, then grab one of these from me later. But it's that desire of Stott's to see the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, ripen in his life. And if you read anything about John Stott, you will see that one of the things many people observed about him and have often said about him was just his Christ-like character, shown through. And therefore God answered his prayer, Holy Spirit. I pray this day, so we prayed it every day, that you'll fill me with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen. And notice that, and this is something I have shared and stressed before, that what we're talking about and going to explore together is the fruit of the Spirit, not fruits, plural which explains and is part of the reason uh, behind this series graphic that, that, again, Mark has created for us. Because we're trying to communicate this idea of nine segments, and there are nine segments there, just in case anybody starts counting. Uh, It's this idea of nine segments of one fruit, rather than nine different fruits of the Spirit. And let me explain why this is important to me. One, to talk about fruits of the Spirit is not biblical. You'll not come across that phrase anywhere in God's Word. The other thing is that whenever you talk about fruits, there is this danger of implying that you can kind of pick and choose. That you can take and enjoy certain ones and ignore or leave the others. I like apples, but I'm not that keen on oranges. Strawberries are okay, but gooseberries aren't my thing. So, love's great, but patience isn't me. Joy is good, but I'm not big on self-control. Kindness is nice, but I'm not into peace. And anyway, surely kind of five out of nine is, is like pretty good. It's a majority after all, but it misses the point. Totally misses the point. The Bible talks about the fruit of the Spirit. You can't pick and choose. You can't take some, forget the others. This Fruit and every segment of it needs to be ripening in our lives. Which is also then part of the reason why we've called the series Nine a Day. Five a day is great, (laughs) but it's not enough. One other comment is before we uh, we read the text in Galatians 5 and set it in context. What I hadn't realized, and I honestly hadn't realized this, but whenever we decided upon this series and, and this title, and so, some of you probably know us, but in 2012, Chris Wright, who's now the International Ministries Director of Langham Partnership. But in 2012, Chris Wright spoke on the Fruit of the Spirit at the Keswick Convention in Port Stewart. As a matter of interest, was anybody there? Good. <laughs> <laughs> you can't check how much I've nicked of his then. Uh, but, but out of that, that week, that convention, and, and he spoke every day. He did the Bible teaching every day. And he spoke on the fruit of the Spirit. And then out of that, he launched an initiative, a new initiative for the Langham Trust called Nine A Day. All about becoming more like Jesus. And although I didn't know that, I, I, I must confess, I'm really glad I've discovered it. Because I am going to use some of that and their material as we work our way through this series. And in fact, there are home study guides to go alongside that Nine a Day Langham Trust uh, series. But anyway, I'm just saying that, putting that out there, just in case someone says, yeah, we've started this new series in our church called Nine a Day. And someone goes, here, I've heard somebody else doing that. All right. I've confessed it. It's out there. But I'm not really using that much. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. It's page 1172. And we're going to read from verse 13 in a moment. But let me just explain. Paul has been talking about the freedom that is ours in Christ. If if you you have your Bible open, just look at the first verse of chapter 5, which says, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. But some people were taking this truth and they were twisting it or they were misunderstanding it to mean, well, that means we can now do whatever we want. You could now believe in Jesus and then live however you like. You're free. And so there was this tension at this time in this place between rules, living under the law, legalism, And license, anything goes. I suppose some things never change. And so Paul speaks and writes into this tension. Are we under law? Or are we free to do what we want? License. So let's listen to what he said. Verse 13. You, my brothers and and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. And so Paul's advice, Paul's direction is really clear. So I say, he says, verse 16, live by the Spirit. Because that way you won't gratify the desires of the sinful nature or the flesh. Plus... If you're led by the Spirit, then you're not under law. So, in a sense, that's it. Sorted. There's the tension dealt with. Just live by the Spirit. Well, yes and no. Because, and maybe this is just me, but I don't think it is, or at least I hope not. <laughs> Because although this all sounds great, it's easier said than done. Now, it's not so much the under the law, the legalism bit that I struggle with. But gratifying the desires of the flesh still seems so natural. Still seems so appealing. I still feel that I want to do what I want to do so much of the time but as I say maybe that's just me but as I engage with this text and as I listen carefully to what it says I kind of think it's, it's not just me because Paul explains why I feel like this and he explains the reason for this tension look at verse 17 what Paul says is listen do you know something we are a conflict zone Paul makes it clear that there is this internal battle raging within the life of every Christian. And those at war within this theater of conflict are the sinful nature and the spirit. We possess both. They occupy the same territory, but they don't get on. They want different things. They pull in different directions. They have very different agendas. And so as Christians, we often know what we should do. We know how we should live. We know what is the right choice to take and make. We know what is the right attitude to have towards others. We know the right plan of action we should adopt. But actually following it through is far easier said than done. And therefore Paul's phrase, similar phrase in Romans chapter 7 again resonates with us. I don't really understand myself, says Paul. For what I want to do, I don't do. Instead, I do what I hate. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. And here in Galatians 5, I discover well, here's the reason there's internal conflict. I'm a war zone. And so the obvious question is, does that mean we just accept this as the way it is? Sing, ke, sara, sara, whatever will be, will be, and just get on with it. And even as I suggest that, we all know that this simply can't be the case. Surely there's help, there's advice, and I believe there is here on how we live with this tension. And as Paul teases this out, he identifies the very different things that each side in this battle and this conflict is about and what it wants. And Paul starts with a sinful nature. And he lists what it wants to see spilling out of our lives. And it doesn't make for pleasant reading. Let me read from verses 19 to 21. I'm going to read from the message The acts or the works of the sinful nature are repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, A brutal temper. An impotence to love or be loved. Divided homes and divided lives. Small-minded and lopsided pursuits. The vicious habit of depersonalising everyone into a rival. Uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions. Ugly parodies of community. None of that is appealing or attractive. And just in case you think, aha, but he didn't mention this, Paul writes in verse 21, and the like. <laughs> it's brilliant. In other words, I could go on, I could keep listing all this works of the sinful nature, but, but listen, you, you get the picture. The sinful nature wants to mess with our quality of life, to reduce it, to wreck it. And as you look down that list, you realize that any one of those, never mind all of them, will only ever lead to a less than full life. If the sinful nature has its way, if if it takes ground, if it gains the upper hand, you won't be free in your relationships with each other or with God or even with yourself. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex never enhances a human relationship. Trinket gods and magic show religion drive a wedge between the creator and the created. And uncontrollable addictions create havoc with your life and in the lives of those around us. The sinful nature is anti-God, anti-good, anti-life. And therefore, it's no wonder that Paul says here, Anyone who lives like this, who does such things on a regular habitual basis, and that's Paul's emphasis here, they will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. They can't. And so having described the acts of the sinful nature, Paul then turns his attention to the fruit of the Spirit. And I think it's really interesting the language he uses here. One, we have the acts or the works of Of the sinful nature. And then he talks about the fruit. The produce. The natural produce of the spirit. Here if you like. Is what the opposing side. Wants to see spill out of our lives. Here's what the series is going to be all about. Love. Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Gentleness. Faithfulness. Self-control. The contrast between the acts of the sinful nature, the fruit of the spirit couldn't be more striking. About four years ago, during a, a series we did on Galatians called Fresh Air and Freedom, I showed these two lists, which I, I think helpfully illustrates the difference between the two opposing factions. I don't know how clear that is. But the acts of the sinful nature are evil, the fruit of the spirit's good. The acts of the sinful nature are destructive, the fruit of the spirit is Constructive. The acts of the sinful nature are easy to ignite. The fruit of the spirit is difficult to ignite. The acts of the sinful nature are difficult to stifle. The fruit of the spirit is easy to stifle. Sinful nature's acts are self-centered, fruit of the is self-giving, acts of the sinful nature are oppressive and possessive, fruit of the spirit's liberating and nurturing, acts of the sinful nature are decadent Fruit of the Spirit's uplifting. Acts of the sinful nature are sinful. Fruit of the Spirit's holy. Acts of the sinful nature are deadly. Fruit of the Spirit is life-giving. And so having described the reality of the battle within and painted a picture of what each side wants, Paul offers some really clear advice on how we deal with this conflict. Back to verse 16. Paul writes, so I say, live by the Spirit. Or as the New Living Translation says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. But notice the next phrase, live by the Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of your sinful nature. In other words, and this is important, you will experience the desires of your sinful nature, but if you live by the Spirit, you won't gratify them. You'll be tempted. Look, I tell you, it's not one person in here who I'm, I'm, I'm never tempted by some of that stuff. We'll experience the temptation of the acts of the sinful nature because it's in there rattling around at war within us with the Spirit of God who now lives within us because of our faith in Jesus. That temptation doesn't disappear. But if you live by the Spirit, says Paul, you'll not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. And so when you become a Christian, there is still a temptation to lose it with your kids. Not Stephen, obviously. You will still want to hold a grudge at times. You will be tempted to voice off at someone. All that doesn't miraculously disappear. The craving for some to get wasted, sometimes not totally eradicated. The lure of inappropriate behavior to the Christian is not a foreign concept. The sinful nature is still active, still raging, still an issue. And anyone who says otherwise, I believe, is in denial and at loggerheads with a section of Galatians. But if you live by the Spirit, which is Paul's explicit advice, then you won't indulge, you won't gratify These desires. So, what must we do in order to live by the Spirit? And I I know I'm kind of taking quite a bit of time to lay the foundation, and I know some of you are thinking, hold on a minute, I think I saw that we were going to be looking at love specifically tonight, and it's already 10 to 8. Like, are we going to get there? We're probably not going to get there, I just need to say that. Uh, Because as I was thinking and praying about this during the week, I realised I really wanted to lay a foundation so we can kind of spring from this. But what must we do in order to live by the Spirit? Well, there are two things. And here they are. Crucify the sinful nature and keep in step with the Spirit, or as I say, the New Living Translation, follow the Spirit's leading in every part of your life. Do you know a key aspect of this first thing, crucifying the sinful nature, is in recognizing that that, that we are partly involved in this. It's, It's an active thing we do. It's a a choice we make. It's a decision we take. And, And it picks up on the imagery that Jesus himself used whenever he said, listen, if anyone wants to be my disciple, they must deny themselves, pick up their cross daily, and follow me. And so Paul just takes this picture to its logical conclusion. We not only take up the cross and walk with it, But we actually see and ensure that execution takes place. We take the sinful nature, the wayward, willful self, and metaphorically speaking, we nail it to the cross. And yes, the idea of crucifying anything is brutal. But in terms of dealing with our sinful nature, we must be ruthless. We must be uncompromising in our rejection of it. And what we find here is a brilliant and graphic description of repentance. Repentance of kind of turning our backs on a particular way of life and living and embracing a totally different path and purpose. And Paul writes here that those who belong to Jesus have, yes, have crucified their sinful nature with its passions and its desires. In other words, it's something many of us did whenever we first repented of our sin and gave our lives to Jesus. But Paul is also making the point that we need to leave it there to die. And this, if you like, is an attitude that we must renew on a constant basis, a day-by-day basis. In the language of Jesus, as it says, Luke records it, you've got to take up your cross daily. Not just a one-time thing. It's daily. There's an ongoing aspect to this. Yes, many of us as Christians have repented The challenge of Christian discipleship, of day-to-day living, is in maintaining that repentance. It's why confession is such a crucial and ongoing spiritual discipline or holy habit. And whenever it disappears from our daily or weekly schedules, we risk giving our sinful nature far too much breathing space. And so we may even find ourselves indulging it. To live by the spirit is to crucify the sinful nature, something we must do on an ongoing basis. And then secondly, we then keep in step with the spirit. The spirit leads, but we're urged to follow. We are urged to follow again. We're involved in this. There's a sense in which an act of choice is involved. Paul says, since we live by the Spirit, yes. But since we live by the Spirit, you've got to keep in step. Which means you can can get out of step. It's an ongoing decision, and need. So in addition to being ruthless in our constant turning away from the sinful nature, we must also be equally disciplined in turning towards and following the Spirit's leading, as Paul says, in every part of our lives. And as we do that, as we do that, crucify the sinful nature. Daily confession, repent. I need to keep coming back to the cross. I need to keep in step with the Spirit of God. And as we keep doing those things, there will be tangible evidence of the Spirit's fruit in our lives. And so in a sense, that, that's the challenge for this evening as we set out in this new series. Confession and pursuit. That as people who are free in Christ, yes, you are free in Christ, but don't use your freedom to indulge your sinful nature. So you can do it. But as the people of God who are free in Christ, We acknowledge there is this internal conflict that rages. And so we need to confess where and when we get it wrong. And then we need to seek to live by the Spirit. Walk, as Paul says, by the Spirit. And therefore allow the Spirit's fruit to ripen and grow and develop. And be on display in our lives. And so we take up... This prayer again. Which actually picks up on some of what I've said. Lord Jesus I pray that this day day I may take up my cross and follow you. So can I invite you to stand. And to pray this prayer. As a congregation. As a group of people. And can I invite you to, to come along for the next eight weeks on Sunday evenings as we track this series and explore each of these segments. But let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that I may live this day in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, I pray that this day, I may take up my cross and follow you. Holy Spirit, I pray that this day, You will fill me with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. Holy, blessed, and glorious Trinity, three persons in one God, have mercy upon me. Almighty God, creator and sustainer of the universe, I worship you. Lord Jesus Christ, Savior and Lord of the world, I worship you. Holy Spirit, sanctifier of the people of God, I worship you. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and shall be forever. Amen. As I say, please do grab one of these little cards on your way out this evening. If anybody would like someone to pray with them tonight uh, as a result of maybe just something that we've, we've kind of been talking about and raised, there are people here who would just love to pray with you. Or if you'd love to pray with someone about any issue at all, it's, it's something we just want to make available for people and so if you do uh, and there'll be ladies available for ladies and men available for men but if you would like someone to pray with you about anything raised tonight or any issue at all uh, as a Christian community we we think it's really important that that opportunity is there so please do just speak to one of us afterwards or come up to the front here and we'll make sure somebody does pray with you but we're going to close by singing this song God of glory we exalt your name you who reign in majesty and we will worship praise and magnify your holy name